Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing It in Real Estate. This week we have Jason and Rachel. Jason and Rachel has been in real estate since 2001. While in their early 20s, they decided that instead of working for someone else, they rather taking charge of their own destiny and open up a mortgage company. Eventually, they closed over 3,000 deals, 3,000 real estate transactions, and then the real estate market crashed. And then from there, they decided you know, to, do, to find different strategies that works, that works for them and close about 300 plus real estate, real estate transactions, pre-closures, short sales, wholesales, probates, and et cetera. Super excited to have them on the show. Hey guys. Glad welcome, to be here. Welcome to, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Definitely. I know we mentioned a short introduction on yourself, but can you tell us how you got into real estate and what your motivation was? Yeah, man. Um, kind of, you, you outlined it a little bit, but you know, we, um, we started kind of on a whim. I was 21 years old when we opened the mortgage company and it was kind of, uh, it was kind of an, uh, on accident. You know, I don't think I ever set out to be, a uh, own a mortgage company or even be in real estate for that matter. But it was, uh, it was another job that I was at and I saw some guys jump into the mortgage business and do well. And, you know, as a 20 year old kid, I thought, well, let's open a mortgage company. And mm-hmm. thankfully it happened, happened to be at the time when interest rates, you know, you, some of your listeners may or may not remember 2001, but that was that was when interest rates really started to drop for the first time in, in a lot of the years. So, I mean, that was mm-hmm. really the start of the refi boom that we're technically still experiencing right now. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I mean, that was where a lot of our business came from in the beginning. And we started from the spare bedroom in a condo and, and grew mm-hmm. it to uh, a company with close to 100 employees. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing thousands and thousands of transactions, um, bringing in millions of dollars. And just like this mess that we're in right now with coronavirus, mm-hmm. I mean, just pretty much overnight, we couldn't, we couldn't originate home loans anymore. I mean, there were, there were no banks buying the loans that we originated. And mm-hmm. we went from bringing in millions of dollars to losing 70, 80 grand a month for about two and a half years. We bled oh, wow. that out every month. Um, until there was no more money left to lose. Um, I lost my own house to foreclosure. I had to file chapter seven bankruptcy. I Mm -hmm. had cars repossessed. I mean, pretty much every bad thing that can happen happened. And, um, yeah, we found ourselves in a, in a tough place. Um, that's that's very, very tough. Wow. That's, wow. That's, that's, (laughs) that's, that's pretty, that's pretty tough. And, to see you still a part of real estate, it speaks, it speaks volume to your character, you know? Because a lot of people in real estate, when they first start into real estate and then they lose money, they stop. They're like, oh, wait, this is not for me. But then you kept going in it. And you kept coming back until you, until you came back and you came more successful. And what people have to understand is that real estate is a long-term game, you know? Yep. You're going to go through a lot of cycles. That you're going to make some money, you're going to lose some money, but you have to keep yourself focused. And that's exactly what you did. It's a major pops to you. I appreciate that. Congratulations. 
Um, yeah. I was just going to say, I think that, you know, when we're always telling our story, it's like, oh, wow, they failed and look, you know, look at that and we view failure or mistakes as such a negative thing. And really it's the most valuable feedback that we've ever received. And mm -hmm. it, it helps to identify where there are holes in your business in the entire infrastructure or how we didn't do this deal right. And I think too many people don't do that self-reflection that's yeah. so imperative to then set up the systems and processes, which then ensure we won't ever make this mistake again. Right. Yeah. Um, and if, and if you're not willing to do that, then I would say making those mistakes won't be feedback for you. Right. You'll, it'll just be, you'll continue to make them because you're not fixing the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very, very important to constantly reflect on the mistakes you made. You know, they're just as valuable. And absolutely, I have a story to tell too. Around in 2016 when I was flipping, I don't know, I was flipping my eighth or ninth house in the Bay Area. I, I thought I, was, I knew it all because every single deal I bought, I had the Midas touch. I was making money every single deal. Yeah. Flash forward to 2018, oh man, I, I was so conceited that I bought, <laughs> I bought this really bad deal and we lost almost, we lost almost a million dollars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that'll, uh, that'll humble you real quick. Exactly. That, that, I always tell my friends, like, when you lose that much money, like, it really affects how you view yourself and it affects, like, it's weird because, like, there's like, there's like being sad and there's like losing money sad. And it's like really affects your decision. It's kind of sad, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> but major props to you guys for continue uh, staying with it. So let's get Thank more you. positive. What was the comeback like? Like as when you lost, when you had, we're going through all that stuff and you were making your comeback into real estate. What was, what were some things that you, you did to push yourself through and keep yourself motivated and accountable and keep your eyes in the bigger picture? Well, I think that, you know, and it's so relatable to the time that we're in right now with this pandemic, right? And yeah. at times, things are completely outside of our control. We didn't do anything wrong with that mortgage business for what happened. Just like many people right. are going to be affected. We didn't do anything wrong. We didn't make any mistakes. But in business, regardless of what business you're in, but the beauty of real estate is, is we just pivot, right? We mm -hmm. find where, where is the next move that we need to make. And I think naturally Jason and I at a very young age made these decisions that we were going to be in control of our futures, working for someone else and being the last person to know if we weren't going to have a job tomorrow, wasn't really an option for us. Mm -hmm. We could rely on ourselves and know that the actions that we put in would be what would come back to us. And so, you know, we went from the mortgage business to then transitioning into loan modifications, which was mm -hmm. this government plan to help people who had been um, financially impacted by our economy crashing. And unfortunately, it looked good, but it wasn't really helping people. And we, we exhausted that. And then that transitioned us into short sales, which is when we became actual real estate investors, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that for us was, um, at the time, I would have told you it was amazing. We were killing it. Mm -hmm. Our very first year in real estate investing, we did 111 deals, totally. um, which sounds so awesome, right? Yeah. Looking back at it and the business that we run 
today, the businesses we run, that was a business that we were completely a slave to, right? Um, it did not serve us. It didn't serve our lives. We served it constantly, but we were motivated by desperation. You couldn't have really hit a, a more bottom barrel than where we were at. Mm -hmm. And we had to keep pushing and, and we do a lot of real estate coaching with investors all over the country and desperation or inspiration is what makes people take action. And we were desperate. So we put our heads down and we hustled. Right. Um, yeah. And I think everybody needs to do that, but you need to be, be deliberate about that hustle. It needs to be a short term sacrifice yeah. um, and eventually work yourself out of it with processes and systems and delegation. So you're not mm -hmm. in it forever because 111 deals and you're in the middle of every one of them mm -hmm. is your life. That's what it becomes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you bring up some really, really good points. You know, when you're in a bad situation, all you see is like everything's so bad right now. You can't really see the positive. When you yeah. look at hindsight, you're like, wow, this is one of the best things that happened to me. Because now yeah. you, actually, you guys actually free yourself from, you know, the mortgage business and becoming real real estate investors. And you guys pivot, you know. You guys have a strong enough foundation. Where you guys, you know, did real, a lot of real estate loans to realize that you do have other opportunities out there. And it's crazy because it's all about perspective, right? Yes. Right. Never quite push back against the corner where you have no options. You're only limited but the things you know. And the more you right. know, the more options you have. And now you turn a bad thing into a great thing, and now you turn this great thing into multiple avenues of, of revenue. Yeah. It's great. Real estate investor, and now you're coaching people. It's absolutely amazing. You know, it's very inspirational for people to hear because most people, like we mentioned before, would give up. But you guys didn't give up. You guys pivot. And pivoting, it's so important to pivot in any business that you do, especially real estate. Right. And but guess what? If one market doesn't work for you, go to a different market. You're not all affected right. by the same crisis. You know, you have to put yourself out there, continue looking at different markets to be like, hey, this market doesn't work for me, but this market, hey, might be fine. And then I, what I realized talking to a lot of people on the show, I talked to like over 50 people on the podcast, I realized that a lot of people make up a lot of excuses. You know? <laughs> you got that right. <laughs> it's hard and they're like you know what maybe I wasn't smart enough hey I don't have enough money I don't have enough time but really they're lacking discipline and this is what you guys have discipline you know? exactly right exactly so. I, think, I mean even even in this environment right now I mean I've had I've had some newer coaching clients that have come to me and said okay well you know what this coronavirus thing I, I guess we're just gonna sit on the sidelines and and wait for two or three or four four months, and, and my instant response is sit on the sidelines. I mean, what? Uh, yeah. Sit on the sidelines has never entered the equation for Rachel and I in our business because this is how we eat. And you know, yeah. one of the biggest mistakes I think real estate investors make that are transitioning or trying to transition out of corporate America into full-time real estate investing is, you know, that good is the enemy of great, right? The, the yeah. bills are already paid with the day job. And so they don't have to make this work. If you mm -hmm. had to make this work, you would never say, <laughs> I'll sit on the sidelines for three right. or four months, right? You would, you would yeah. figure out a way. And so, you know, we're looking at this like, okay, well, the, the landscape has changed. The game mm -hmm. has changed. It's time to adapt. How can we, how can we still do a homeowner appointment without going out 
to their house. Well, we can use Zoom. We can use what we're on right now. We can use uh, we can use iPhone, yeah. FaceTime. Um, they can walk visits through house. We can do DocuSign and, and send over an email contract. We can yeah. do a share meeting, a share meeting like this, and share our screen and walk them through the contract and let mm-hmm. them initial it. I mean, there's there's so many alternatives if we just use our brain, right, and just think yeah. about. Um, not being a, a victim or controlled by circumstances, but, you know, kind of bringing certainty to the situation that mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to continue to do business. As a matter of fact, we're going to do even more business. Exactly. You guys look for pauses in every situation and that's how I know you guys will continue to, to succeed. You know, you see, and also, I, I mean, you have to look at things this way, you know, less people are out there. So less competition. This is your chance to get your- exactly right. <laughs> exactly right yeah hey can, now that you know we heard about your story can you walk us through one of, one of the best deals you guys ever done and after that let's walk through one of the worst deals you ever done and what you learned from them you do the best one Rachel. you do the best one i'll do the worst one I would say I'm, I'm going to need your help on this in number because i don't know that i remember it was so long ago and i think it's 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 my the best deal for so many reasons, but we was, it it was year one in real estate investing. And so Mm -hmm. our first year, all the only marketing that we did was pre foreclosure. And we helped pretty much every pre foreclosure we did. We, we exited out of that deal. We acquired it through a short sale Mm -hmm. and working with the bank to get them to take less than what was owed because our values were so out of line. Everybody was underwater. Everybody was delinquent, right? There were a lot of distressed properties out there. And so... What year was this, by the way? We came across... 11. Uh, this is 2011, yeah. Okay. So we came across a, a six-unit property um, in the city. Four of the units were occupied. Two of them were vacant. Um, one vacancy was the largest unit and it needed to be rehabbed. Well, we weren't rehabbers, right? Like we, we, we did not know how to run a rehab. We didn't really know what all of those expenses were. And we were in a financial crisis. We needed to be bringing in income. And we took this deal down. Um, the guy owed, and Jason, this is where I want you to help me with the money side of this. He owed, I I believe around about $170,000 on the mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, We bought this. No, he owed owed half a million bucks. If you're talking about Wyoming, he owed half a million. Yeah. Okay. Share the numbers because you know you have them ingrained. What did we buy it for? We bought it for Um, (laughs) $40,000. And here's what... Here's what's cool about a short sale, and I don't want to step on your story, Rachel, but what's cool no. about the short sale is that this was in an area in St. Louis called Benton Park, and it, it it's a nice it's a nice area, but you know a couple of houses on the street right next to it were boarded up, and so when a when a BPO agent or an appraiser is determining the value on a short sale that they have rules where they have to get their comps from, and it has to be within a quarter mile. So so the comparables were a couple boarded up houses. This one, <laughs> um, like Rachel said, it was a four family and it had a $4,000 a month cash flow. So the tenants were already in there, but mm-hmm. because of the comps, we were able to buy it for 40 grand. So you want to continue wow. there, Rachel? Or you 
as insane. Yeah, no. <laughs> I just want I, I wanted to share that. I mean, we made a ton of money on that deal. We sold yeah. it, I think, right after we purchased. We actually had a contract secured to sell the property before we actually even bought it and owned it. Mm -hmm. um, but what I loved about this deal is that looking back on it, and I even think people who were seasoned at the time would have said, you guys were crazy. Why didn't you keep that property? You should have rehabbed that that empty unit and what a great cash flow. And they're right. It did check all of those boxes for that ideal buy and hold on a multi-unit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what I think people miss the mark on in real estate investing is you need to acquire and exit from deals what is your best way to do it for the situation that you're in right now. Mm -hmm. Where you start at is not where you have to stay at, but mm -hmm. where we were at, we needed to resell that property ASAP. Today, mm -hmm. we would hold that property and probably own it for the rest of our lives, right? Mm -hmm. But what we needed was that fast cash that came from what we resell that house for, Jason. What was the sale price? Of? I think 175. That was that was probably one of our first six-figure net profit deals. Yeah. One of the first deals we made over 100 grand of profit on. I love yeah, it. and we did nothing to it. We did absolutely nothing. We didn't it touch it. Yeah. The numbers, everything made sense. But I, it, so often we just see people's success, and we don't see the decisions that they made in order to get there. And I think that's mm -hmm. so important when starting or when you're in a crisis situation like what we're in right now. That mm -hmm. you pay attention to what is the best way for where you're at to get in and out of these deals. Yeah. Right. That's a, that's a great lesson. Um, great lesson for great lesson for all our listeners too to understand. Uh, you know, it's not a one size fit all. Everyone's situation is different. I always have people come to me during my real estate meetups and ask me, "Hey, I'm looking to get started into real estate. Can I be can I be a wholesaler or can I be a yep. or yep. can I be a you know like syndicator?" And I always tell them like, "It depends on your situation, right?" Yeah. That's right. That's exactly right. How much yeah. money do you have? How much time do you have? What do you even like to do? You know, because people are getting attracted to the shiny object syndrome. When you first start the real estate, you're like, wow, someone's -so making so much money here, here, here. You know, you're like, yeah. you yep. listen to all these stories that you don't quite know what you're getting yourself into. So, That's right. you know, take your time. Like, take your time. Find what fits yes. best to you. It, it, the way exactly right works is like you may not find a deal in your first year but you find like five the next the next year because you have a strong foundation you know that's right you're a go-getter type like you guys you gotta just make things happen you know make things quick happen 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 like yep. it just depends on your personality it's hard it's hard for anyone to give you the answer that you need only you guys can find the answer that you need that's right awesome that's exactly let's, right let's go through um one of your worst deals let's hear it <laughs> uh, um yeah, this this is always a crazy story to tell, and I, we won't have time to tell the whole story. But <clears throat> when we started getting back on our feet, we started making money. Um, we did that hundred thousand dollar deal that Rachel was talking about. We were doing a lot of fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty granders. Um, we started putting some cash back in the bank. We started to feel better about life and about the way things were going. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. We found. Uh, well, we went on a short sale appointment. And the guy had three or four mortgages. He owed a little over $2 million on this property. Oh, man. And uh, it was coming up for a foreclosure sale. And the date kept getting sooner. And so we're telling the guy, hey, if we're going to do the short sale, like we need to, we need to get it into the bank now or we're not going to be able to stop the sale. It's going to go to auction. 
and it kept getting closer and closer to the auction date. And finally we said, Tony, you know, if, if you don't sign this paperwork, we're, we're going to buy the house from the auction. It's going to auction tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And he was, Oh, I'm, I'm friends with the CEO of PNC bank. You know, it's never going <laughs> to happen. They're never, you know, he, he was, he was big shot. And, um, it, it did happen. It went, it went to auction for five, seven, 575,000 was the opening bid and we bought it, which for St. Louis, by the way, um, 575,000 is probably equivalent to your, uh, 5 million. Oh, wow. um, so it's, um, it was super scary. We had never done a deal that big ever. And that was just the purchase price and it needed, you know, it needed a six figure rehab. Mm-hmm. So, we bought that property and we immediately drive back to the guy, you know, back over to the house. Um, and we offer him like $10,000 in cash and we tell him we'll hire professional movers. And like, we just wanted them out. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he looked me dead in the face and said, uh, well have fun with that. Cause I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and, um, this is, this is how, I mean, Missouri's a 21 day eviction state, so it, it shouldn't have been a big deal, but he uh-huh. hired an attorney and he pulled every trick in the book from change of judge to he was in the hospital to i mean he drug this thing out for months um and i i should probably add context to this because your listeners are going to be like this this guy's an ass um and and this isn't this isn't exactly the way it went but long story short we're paying fifteen thousand dollars a month in interest payments hard money interest payments And we had just got back on our our feet and now I'm watching this money dwindle month over month for a man that's living in a house that we own. Right. Um, I'm paying 15 or 16 grand a month for this guy to live in this house and I'm watching the money dwindle down. Mm -hmm. And so we have to, we have to make a decision like how we have to get him out. We can no longer rely on the court process to do this because we have no idea when this is going to end. So um, I'm not saying this was right or anything else. What I'm saying is that when you just got <laughs> when you just got completely wiped out and lost everything that you ever worked for in your whole entire life, and you just got back on your feet, and now this guy just because he wants to be a jerk is going to destroy it again. Um, you make different decisions. So I I was trying to think of a way of how can we get him out of the house, and the only thing I could think of is if the house was condemned, he couldn't be in there, and Every, so I called the city and they, you know, they gave me the list of everything that you can condemn a house for. Mm-hmm. And all of it had to do with things on the inside. No smoke detectors, no this, no that. But the one that didn't was no running water. So we had a, a buddy of ours, it's a plumber, come down. I mean, literally with a track hoe, you know, with the boom, the scoop yeah. thing. Um, and he dug up the front yard and went down under the street and disconnected the main water line from the city oh to the house. <laughs> and the good part was we didn't even have to call the city cause he called the police and, you know, tried to get us in trouble, but we, we legally could be there. Um, so we got the water shut off. We got him out of the house and, uh, we thought that was the end of our problems. We did the rehab. We put, um, about a hundred grand into the rehab. So we were in it for like six seventy five at that point. Mm-hmm. We put it on the market and, um, got a full price cash offer. We had 140 people through our open house the very first day. We had had a full price cash offer for a million bucks. Um, So it was about a $300,000 in profit, 250, something like that. Mm -hmm. And two days before closing, the title company called and said, Hey, um, do you know that the old homeowner just filed a lawsuit against you 
and the title company and and the county court and the bank for wrongful eviction and and wrongful foreclosure. Oh my god. So so now this process <laughs> now this process started all over again. Um the we couldn't close on the deal because of the lawsuit and he uh-huh. drug that thing out in court court for a year, man. Uh-huh. Um we lost a couple hundred thousand dollars, two probably quarter million dollars, not not in potential profit and in, in actual real money we lost because that that process drug out for over a year mm-hmm. and by the time we could sell it the days on market were over a year so everybody thought there was something wrong with the house um mm-hmm. it was it was a mess man i shouldn't even tell that story because i think it, it freaks people out and it scares them a little mm-hmm. bit like that's a lightning strike scenario i i know a guy in st louis that bought over 1100 houses from the foreclosure auction and never had anything like that happen very yeah. first one we buy it happens to us <laughs> so um, yeah. that's the that's the worst one man that's that's pretty crazy totally relatable on my side you're in a one i say one in ten deals that you guys do in the if you guys do deals in the bay area ends up in that kind of situation really like, people here are extremely well educated in how tenant laws work and the yeah. here is are notoriously hard like you're you're more likely to have a cash for key situation and really? it's crazy because these people know how cash for keys work and they know that the minimum that they could take for cash for keys here is 22500 you know? Wow. So they understand their laws. They're like, hey, you have to pay us the minimum. I don't want to take you to court. Yeah. It's crazy. No kidding. It's, it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. And then I have a similar story to you guys too. Like we fixed and flipped this house in San Francisco. Uh, I think we bought it for eight seventy five, and then we put two hundred thousand into it, so in it for a one one point one million. Yeah. So we sold the house for one point three. But horror story, this person came in and they're super. You know, they they you got a feeling that they're gonna cause trouble. So this type of buyers yeah. that they're, they're just gonna buy your property. And you're like, oh man, I hope I hope they're not gonna like cause trouble. And then you know our gut feeling. That you know, sometimes you don't have to go with the highest, the highest buyer. You just go with the easiest buyer. You know? yes. <laughs> right. yes. So we had someone that came in and they nitpicked everything. They were like, "Hey, like, I don't like. I think something's wrong with the floor. I think something's wrong with the walls." And then they kept, like, they eventually pushed a lawsuit against us, and, and like we had to quote unquote fix everything. So essentially, we cut off half the like half the house again to check for things, but none of the things are wrong, you know? And they made us upgrade some stuff for them that they didn't like before and try to use as a part of the lawsuit to fix for them. And similar to you guys, we lost a couple hundred grand on, on that property too. And this was, like, we bought it right, we did it right, we finished in the right timeline, but we had the wrong buyer. Yep. You know? so yeah. That doesn't quite end there. You're like, okay, cool, I have a buyer now. Sometimes you just want the easiest buyer. <laughs> you know? That's exactly right, man. Yeah. But I'm glad you guys came from that. Better people, you know. You guys are still in the yeah. business, so it's a great start. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, truth, you know. Truth be told, I'll tell you guys in the podcast right now. My uh, property manager just called me. She told me that someone just crashed a car into my unit and took out two units. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw my voicemail literally during this podcast. I'm like, you know what? Just got to deal with the bad news as you come along. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's pretty bad. That's right. Yeah. So that's 
continue. So what are your short-term goals and long-term goals in real estate? Well, what you want to take that, Rachel? Go ahead. I was going to say, I think short-term right now, you know, we, we by default really got into um, the education side of real estate investing um, mm -hmm. due to the success that we had. Um, Jason was in a mastermind with a lot of people who owned RIAs in different places and wanted us to kind of come and share how we had created this success with all of these limiting things that would have kept most people from doing anything, right? And yeah. so um, as we got into that, we realized that there was really kind of a shortage for that step-by-step -step process. You know, it might've given you this much, but then now what's next? And mm -hmm. so that kind of created REI Blueprint for us, which is our, our education business. And so we do a lot of events and right now doing events is not something that's possible. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's been a blessing, not that this virus is, you know, running is everywhere, but it's, it's allowed us to be able to work on something that we've wanted to put a lot of time into, which is mm -hmm. hosting virtual events and um, designing things that um, educate people more than what we already had set up. And so mm -hmm. this has really given us that time to be able to do that. So I think mm -hmm. short-term goal is for us to really be able to perfect this whole virtual process which, you know, anything that you're going through right now, it's going to mm -hmm. serve you once we overcome this also, you know, it's, it's not for nothing. It's only mm -hmm. going to make you better. And so that's currently where we are putting the majority of our focus is, is on how do we perfect anything and everything to do with investing from a virtual stand. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the pivot already. You guys pivot so many times in your, in your real estate career. Never pivot. Appreciate yeah. that. Hey, what kind well, of, when you, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say when you, uh, that it's another example of, of adapting to your, to your current environment and just in, you know, our, like Rachel said, REI blueprint for, for the most part is, is a live event business. I mean, that's what we do is teach three day workshops on, on, you know, intensive three day workshops on, on how to be a real estate investor. And you, you can't have a meeting with over 10 people right out for the, for the indefinite future. So mm -hmm another situation of you, you can't just sit on the sidelines and, and exactly. we don't know if this thing is going to last two weeks or eight months, right? We have to, mm -hmm. we have to adapt. We have to figure out a way to, to continue to push forward. Yeah. You guys are always pivoting. So you get, I saw, I know you guys are going to succeed. You know, you pivot in every kind of situation to find solutions and that's the type of people you guys are. Very inspirational. We appreciate that. Thank you. We appreciate that, man. So what kind of inspiration do you guys draw from? What kind of favorite books, podcasts, you know, inspirational mediums? Like, how do you guys stay so motivated so often? Go ahead, Roberts. You can do yours. All right. Um, I'll tell you one thing that we just went to that was really, really good was our whole team went out to see uh, Tony Robbins' Business Mastery, mm -hmm. uh, which I have, I've gone to a lot of his events. I've always been a fan of his, but I'd never had been to Business Mastery before. And... Um, getting to sit there and listen to several different billionaires explain how they're preparing. Now this was before coronavirus. So uh, the, the crazy part about this is every single person, including Tony who went on that stage said winter is coming and, and you better get, you better be prepared for it. You better, your business better be set up to adapt. Your business better be set up to, to weather the storm because it's coming. 
every single billionaire that got on stage said that. Mm-hmm. And it caused us to kind of go back and not only look at our own business, but to share with our community of guys, where are you at? If winter came right now, what are some of the things that we can do right now to prepare for this? Mm-hmm. Which was crazy that two or three months later, this happens, right? Um, yeah. So um, I think that I, I pulled a lot of inspiration out of that. At seeing, getting to hear um, billionaires, not not millionaires, but billionaires explain what they're working on in their business and how they how they make their decisions. Um, man, I, pu- I pulled a lot from that. Um, mm-hmm. Constantly surrounding yourself with people who are on a whole nother level than where you're at, or getting a whole different result than, sorry, um, than where you're at, um, is a game changer, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How about you, Rachel? Um, I think for me that that first thing that, as far as staying motivated, staying inspired, is really being crystal clear on what your why is. Mm-hmm. Why do you want this? Why are you doing it? And mm-hmm. that knee jerk reaction is the money, right? Real mm-hmm. estate investing, uh, real estate as a whole. Every wealthy person, you will see some connection, right, to mm-hmm. real estate, and so that's the easy, shiny, you know, kind of answer answer, but there's mm-hmm. something more to it and digging down deeper and really understanding what is that more for me. It's my kids, you know, being able mm-hmm. to show them that as a female, as a minority, these are all of the things and not that any of those are a reason that you can't be successful, but that those are reasons and excuses that society puts out there. Mm-hmm. This is how you do it. This is how you be a good wife, a good mother, and a good businesswoman, and mm. you can really do it all if you can create those balances. But but being crystal clear on that why is how you make that decision to do that, that uncomfortable thing, right? Or that fearful thing that we always just instinctively push back from. Mm. Um, if if they were ever in jeopardy, fear would never enter my mind, right? And mm. and they are in jeopardy. That if I don't show them that they can be whatever they want to be. They can do whatever they want to do. I put myself in that category where we've all heard it, right? Mm-hmm. There's something completely different that happens when you show them. Yep. And so for me, that is a huge driving force is you come to one of our three-day boot camps, you'll mm-hmm. see my younger two at every one of them mm-hmm. just so they see like, this is what's possible. This is what you can it's not from a look at me, but it's a dream big, man. Dream as mm-hmm. big as you can, but take action on it, right? And do Perfect. something with it. Yeah. My motto is dream bigger than you did yesterday. That's my motto. Absolutely. That's good. Yes. Love that. <laughs> yeah. I love, I love both your stories. I love everything that you guys you know, taught us so far in the podcast. And I just want to give the opportunity for the listeners to reach out to you guys. What's the best possible way for them to uh, find you guys after the show? Man, you can uh, certainly go to our website, which is just reiblueprint.com, real estate mm-hmm. investing blueprint, reiblueprint.com, or, or probably better even follow us on Facebook. Just search REI Blueprint. Rachel and I are constantly posting mm-hmm. content and videos and training. A lot of our community students, coaches are posting things on there. It's, it's a fun place to, to kind of hang out, but also get a lot of guidance for uh, you know anything from multifamily to fix and flip to wholesaling, you know, we kind of have a, a, someone that's, that's doing that at a high level um, across the gambit, you know? 
Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. But thank you guys both for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. Of course. Let me pause.